John chapter 20, starting reading at verse 1. This is God's word. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb, so they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hand and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the print of the nails and Put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. 
And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, amen. We thank God for this reading from his truth. We're going to pray and ask God's help to understand it. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. We thank you especially today for this book of John, this which was written so that we may believe. And so help us today to to see and to believe, to see the truth in the scriptures and to believe in the risen Lord Jesus. Help us not just to understand it in our minds, but to believe it in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we began our service, so begins John's Gospel. It starts with the words, in the beginning. Familiar words. Words which open the whole Bible in the book of Genesis. And John knew what he was doing. John knew that the images that would be conjured up in people's minds. And so he continues his gospel in this theme of creation. He uses pictures, he uses themes that that capture the essence of creation and he uses that to explain the work of Christ. Let me give you an example. Uh, One might be the theme of light and dark in John's gospel. We all know that light is the first thing that God created. Let there be light. And without it, scientifically, life on earth would not be possible. But John wants us to know that light and dark aren't merely descriptions of the physical world or the physical atmosphere in which a story is taking place. They are descriptions of a person's faith. They actually describe whether the person is alive or dead, spiritually speaking. We see this in John chapter 3. This is one example. A man called Nicodemus comes to see Jesus. And he came to see Jesus in the nighttime. And while I'm sure it did happen in the nighttime, John mentions the detail because when Nicodemus arrives with Jesus, his heart and his mind are dark. He doesn't understand. He doesn't believe. But when he leaves Jesus, 
his heart and his mind have been enlightened. He's been brought from darkness to light. And so throughout the whole of John's gospel, there's a massive connection between light and life. John wants us to know that Jesus is the light of the world. And he brings life into the world. Jesus comes into a dark world, a world that is dying in sin. A world that needs the light of Christ to dawn. Faith in Jesus, belief in him as our Lord and Saviour, well, it comes whenever our hearts and our minds are enlightened by the truth. And so look to our passage today. Look at verse 1 of chapter 20. Mary Magdalene arrives at the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark. But light is about to dawn. With the resurrection of Jesus, light is about to dawn for Mary's faith, for Peter and John and the rest of the disciples. Light is dawning for the beginning of a whole new creation. No wonder that John references the book of Genesis because the resurrection of Jesus is a new beginning for the whole world. Life, life in all of its fullness is found in the risen Lord Jesus. And it's my hope that as we look at this passage today, this might be a light bulb moment for you, for your heart and mind. That light will dawn and you will join in the new creation and receive from Christ everlasting life. So please do have your Bibles open to John chapter 20. On the first day of the week, early in the morning, while it was still dark, just as some of us did this morning, Mary went to a big stone. Not the big stone in Clebroni, of course, the the stone that covered Jesus' tomb. The other Gospels tell us that she went to anoint the body with oils and spices. John doesn't get into those details. He just tells us very plainly that the stone has been taken away. And Mary turned and she ran to tell Peter and John. By the way, John is the disciple who Jesus loved. She says they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb. You can just imagine her breathless as she's saying it. We do not know where they've laid him. And so these two men, up they get and off they run back to the tomb. Just think about their shock and their concern. They get there and the body is gone. Think about what's running through their minds. John arrives first. He looks in and he sees the grave clothes are there, but no body. And then Peter, as usual, Peter is bold as brass. He walks on into the tomb. And what does he see? He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. And so John, perhaps emboldened by what Peter has done, John also went in. And the Bible tells us he saw and believed. 
I'm going to come to Mary in a moment, but I want to linger with Peter and John for now. Look at what it took for Peter and John to believe. And I want to ask you today, what will it take for you to believe? John finishes chapter, the chapter in verse 31 by saying, these are written that you may believe. That's what John wants. He wrote this down so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wants you to look. He wants you to examine the evidence. He wants you to see and believe. You see, the the Christian faith is not based on a feeling. It's not based on a, a tingle up the spine. The Christian faith is based on evidence. It's a rational faith. It has to be worth saying that Peter and John and the rest of the disciples, why weren't they sitting outside of the tomb? Jesus had clearly told them that he would die and that he would rise again. But this seemed like an impossible claim for the disciples. Even after seeing all they saw, they they watched Jesus do miracle after miracle. They saw Lazarus raised from the dead. And yet, there were still doubts swirling in their minds. Surely if they were believing in the resurrection, they would have been at the tomb waiting for it. But they weren't there. And so it's worth pointing out that the resurrection seemed as unlikely to them as it does for us today. But they saw the evidence and they believed. There are lots of ways to look at the evidence for the resurrection. It's presented in the Gospels for us. And there are many, many, many books written on this subject. If you want to read further, if you want to think more about this, then please let me know. I would be happy to point you towards some good books. But today, I just want us to see what Peter and John saw. Peter and John saw and believed. So what did they see? What's the evidence? Well, there's no body. There's no body in the tomb. And so that leaves us with a few possibilities, the most likely of which is that the body was taken away. That's what Mary assumes in verse 2. They've taken the Lord and we don't know where. But who would take the body? Well, maybe Jesus' followers would take the body. Maybe they were trying to hoax a resurrection. Well, if that were the case, then Peter and John probably would have been in on it. They would have known about it. But secondly, I want you to think about these strips of linen cloth. That detail is included for a reason. If Jesus' followers were stealing his body, they would have treated it with utmost care and devotion, and protection. They would have been terribly afraid to show any disrespect to the body of their loved one. And so they certainly would not have unwrapped the linen cloths and carried the body away naked. Maybe it was his enemies. Maybe it was grave robbers who 
took the body. They would have cared less about the linen cloth. Just rip it off, whatever we need to do. Let's just take this body and get out of here. Well, isn't it strange then that they would stop? That they would take the handkerchief off his head and they would fold it and set it neatly in its place. That's not really the kind of behavior you would expect from grave robbers. It's not even something my wife expects from me any longer to fold the clothes. And look at what Peter saw. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths but folded together in a place by itself. The evidence was there. He saw and believed. What's it going to take for you to believe? We've seen the evidence. I want to encourage you today to think it over. Think it through and decide, are you convinced? Can you believe? You see, Christianity is not a faith which allows that you believe what you believe and I'll believe what I believe. That's not how Christianity works. It's not a case of saying, Jamie, do you know whatever works for you, that's fine. If you want to believe in Jesus, that's, that's fine for you. It just doesn't work for me. Christianity makes a far greater claim than that. Christianity claims to be true. It claims to be true. And so you should believe because it's true. Don't believe Christianity because it's exciting. Don't believe it because it's appealing or relevant. It is all those things. But you should believe it because it's true. And here we are, 2,000 years later, on the first day of the week. Why are we here on the first day of the week? Well, because we're here to celebrate the resurrection. That's why we meet as Christians on the first day of the week. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate that, that the God who made the heavens and the earth that he entered into his creation. He lived and he died and he rose again in history. As real as Henry VIII or Abraham Lincoln, Jesus Christ was a man brought up in Nazareth. He exercised a ministry of preaching and healing and casting out demons. He was real flesh and blood and he went to die a real flesh and blood death at the cross of Calvary, just outside Jerusalem. But he is not dead any longer. It is a real and true fact of the history of this world that Jesus is alive. He is risen. Don't ignore that. You can't ignore it. Look at the evidence. Examine the facts. And see that Christianity is to be believed because it's true. Let the light, the light of Christ, dawn in your heart and mind today. Believe in the one who is alive forevermore. The one who can bring full and free and everlasting life. Peter and John saw and they believed. What about Mary? Well, she didn't see at the same time as Peter and John, did she? She was still in the dark. She hadn't looked with Peter and John. What was she doing? Verse 11, Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. 
And as she wept, look at what she did. As she wept, she stooped down and looked. She looked into the tomb. And when she looked, everything changed. The light bulb came on. Two angels. Can you imagine this? Two angels shining white. The light has dawned. This is just like the angels that were set to guard the presence of God from human beings when Adam and Eve were cast out from the Garden of Eden. John is painting a picture here, not really of a return to Eden, but of entrance into a new garden. And notice these angels don't call her Mary, they call her woman. That's how Eve was first referred to in the Garden of Eden. Adam, the Bible tells us, rejoices to call her woman because she was taken out of man. And so here, Mary is a representative for all humanity, for all people. And the angel asks her the question, but the angels are really asking us the question today, why are you weeping? Let me ask you, what is it that saddens and troubles you? In a way, Mary's answer is an answer all of us have had at one point or another. Mary's is very specific. They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. But drill down into that for for yourself. The reason for her tears is that hope is gone. There's no more hope. Her hope was in Jesus, and she can't even find his body. Her loved one has died and the only thing that she could cling on to was his body, but now that's gone. She doesn't care why. She doesn't care who took the body. She just wants to know where it is. You've had those moments. Those moments of grief. Those moments when you turn to speak to a loved one and they're not there anymore. Moments when you feel as if all hope is gone. In this moment, Mary is every one of us. Despair, sorrow, grief, hopelessness. But it's nothing, and friends, I mean this, it is nothing that a resurrection won't fix. At that very moment, when Mary is at her very lowest, she turns and sees Jesus. She sees him, but she doesn't really see him, if you know what I mean. She sees a gardener. She sees Adam. The gardener, the the old man, the, the one who God appointed to work and keep the garden of Eden, but who failed in that task. Jesus addresses her in the same way the angels did. Woman, why are you weeping? And again, Mary explains... All I want is the body. If you have taken it, please just tell me where it is. But then, miracle of miracles, Jesus calls her by name. Mary. Her eyes are opened. The light dawns. She doesn't see a gardener anymore. She doesn't see the old Adam. She sees the new Adam. She sees Christ. Friends, here is another important aspect of the Christian faith. It is a faith that is true. 
and you should believe it because it is true. And part of that truth is that Jesus is alive today. He is as alive today as he was that first Easter Sunday. And just as he called Mary by name, he's calling you. I stand here in this pulpit week after week and it's as if I'm saying to you, woman or man, I'm issuing a general call to everybody but Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, is speaking to your heart. He's calling your name. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. Not a general relationship, a personal relationship. And so you might look at the evidence and you might say a man named Jesus lived and he grew up in Nazareth and he taught and he healed and he died on a Roman cross. And that's a very nice story. You might believe all of that. But I'm telling you today that not only did Jesus do all of that, and he did, but he did it for you. He did it for you. Don't just believe in Jesus in a general way. Don't believe in an academic way. Believe that his resurrection was for you. So that you might have life. Full and free and everlasting life. The good news of Christianity is that it's a religion of grace. A religion that offers salvation to to rescue you from sin and death. It offers new life as part of a new creation in the family of God. And it is based on the finished and final work of Jesus Christ. So let me try and bring things to a close for today with one more point. Salvation comes in and through the person of Jesus. It requires repentance of sin and faith in what Christ has done. It requires you to be in a personal relationship with Jesus so that everything that he has, all of his blessings and benefits become yours. That's the same for all Christians, but it's still a a personal relationship. So while there are fundamentals which are necessary for us to have saving faith, for each one of us, it might take a different route. Look at what we've learned. We've learned that Peter and John saw the empty tomb, the strips of linen. They saw and they believed. Mary took a slightly different route. She saw and encountered the living Lord Jesus and she believed. (coughs) Later on in the passage, we have Thomas. And again, Thomas takes a different route to see and believe. He, He needed to see and touch Jesus' hands and side. He saw and believed. And then notice what Thomas or Jesus says to Thomas. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so to us today, we've seen the evidence. It's been presented to us. But we've not seen as Thomas has seen. And we've not seen as Mary or Peter and John. What is important, though, is that we believe. And you might not be a believer here today. And maybe you have a a family member or a friend and they came to faith in a certain way. 
maybe for them it was rational. They looked at the evidence and they said, this evidence demands a verdict and now I believe. Or maybe it was emotional. Maybe they were weeping and they had their hopelessness removed from them in an inexplicable way like Mary. Maybe they were brought up in the church and they never really wandered. Or maybe they were a real prodigal. What I say to you today is that it's not the route to Jesus that matters. It's Jesus that matters. It isn't how you come to believe in Jesus. It's that you believe in Jesus that matters. So don't expect your testimony to be the same as anyone else's. Don't expect that you have to do the things that they did. And please, please don't look down on anyone because of the route that they have taken. And don't despise your testimony. Don't despise anybody else's either. The testimony of a Christian is a wonderful thing, a miraculous thing. Salvation for sinners, full and free and everlasting life, a relationship with the God of the universe, a relationship with this man who was once dead and is now alive, a personal relationship. It's wonderful. How we get there doesn't matter as much as the destination. If you are able to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he's calling you today. He wants you to be part of his new creation, a new beginning. So let me ask you, do you believe in the resurrection? I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray.